When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, there's a big picture in nature, you know, vast habitats filled with life encompassing a myriad of intricate locales and, and, you know, big ecological relationships. And then there's a small picture, the very niches which form these vast aquatic habitats of the world. They're fascinating and they're, they're many, they're varied. We talk a lot here about microhabitats in nature, little areas of tropical habitats where unique physical, environmental, and biological characteristics converge based on a set of factors found in a very specific locale. The mind-blowing diversity of nature, it's comprised of millions of these little scenes, all of which uh, have the result of, you know, which are the result of various factors coming together in the right place. Now, as aquarists, observing, studying, and understanding the specifics of microhabitats is a fascinating and compelling part of the hobby because it can give us inspiration to replicate the form and function of them in our tanks. This is something we've talked about many times, that whole uh, uh, functional aesthetic thing, and it really comes home to roost when we talk about this stuff. We spend a lot of time discussing and considering the various components and interactions of water and terrestrial habitats like the Igarape and uh, the surrounding Igapo and Varzea forests in, in the Pantanal, those really interesting inundated meadows found in Brazil. These formerly terrestrial, then turning aquatic environments. Neat stuff. These environments are fascinating because they offer, or they actually de- demonstrate perfectly examples of what happens when temporary situations, i.e. floods, affect the topography of terrestrial habitats. And, you know, our pages and our social media posts have had a lot of these pictures by people like David Sobery, Mike Tucanardi, Ty Streitman, uh, people who have observed nature with, you know, not only a scientist's eye, but a hobbyist's eye. And that's kind of cool. Now, ecologically, the productivity and diversity of these habitats makes them perfect subjects for replication in our aquariums. Not only do they offer unique aesthetics, they offer really cool opportunities to see how they can function in a closed system like our aquarium. When fishes are kept in a representation of a habitat which mimics its form and function, you get this enormous potential for discoveries and things to present themselves. Behaviors are different, feeding patterns are different, spawnings occur differently, the whole vibe is different, and I find that amazing. Look at the way rocks, soils, and branches come together in these flooded forests and these other types of habitats, meadows and rivulets. They form these interesting physical spaces that fishes utilize for protection, for foraging, and again, for reproduction. And by replicating the complex look and physical attributes of these features, including, you know, rich substrates, roots of all kinds of thicknesses and leaves, we offer our fishes all sorts of potential microhabitats. In the aquarium, we tend to focus on the macro level, creating a nice wood stack, perhaps incorporating some rock, but we seldom see the whole picture allowed to come together in a more natural way. And of course, that more natural way includes some of the debris and, and, and detritus and sediments and decaying leaves and all that stuff. And that was what inspired me in a recent iteration of one of my office, Igapo-inspired blackwater aquariums. Um, that interaction between the terrestrial elements like the soil and substrate and the aquatic ones, water, <laughs> allowing terrestrial leaves to accumulate naturally among the you know dormant terrestrial plant and root structure 
uh, help me create and foster this more natural looking, more natural functioning environment. It was dirty. It was brown. It was very different than anything I had done before. And the fish loved it. In fact, as the leaves started to soften and ultimately break down, they encouraged microbial growth, biofilms, all the stuff we talk about, fungal growths, all of which provided food for the resident fishes. And as an experiment, which I've done before in other aquariums, no supplemental feeding was provided the group of neon tetras I had in there. And the fishes thrived for many months before I transported them to a bigger aquarium. But that's just like what happens in nature when these elements combine. There's something alluring to interpreting this in the aquarium. It's a little scary for some of us. It's a little uncomfortable. It's aesthetically a huge departure from what we do. But it's really, really interesting. Facilitating these processes, allowing the materials to accumulate naturally and to break down in situ, it's a key component of replicating and supporting these microhabitats in our aquariums. It's a leap of faith, a bit of a stretch, and sort of counterintuitive over most of what we do in the hobby. The typical aquarium hardscape, you know, artistic and beautiful as it might be, generally replicates the most superficial aspects of these kinds of habitats, and it tends to overlook their function and the reasons why these habitats form in the first place. In some cases, it's almost sterile, and I suppose there's a certain beauty to that too, but I urge you to go further in the other direction now and again, really muck it up, so to speak. When I see all these beautiful aquascapes out there, I'm almost thinking to myself, damn, they're so close to being able to create something really natural here. Just throw in some leaves, throw in some soil, let some stuff happen. If I had one of those tanks right now, I'd literally take, it would take every bit of resistance I can muster to avoid tossing in leaves and botanicals and soil and all kinds of stuff into every nook and cranny there. Um, purely aesthetic scapes to me are, I don't know, they're almost like missed opportunities to, to learn more uh, about these fascinating little microhabitats that come together when these elements combine. And I think, again, it's that combination of elements that we're talking about that I find so fascinating uh, in, you know, in the, both in nature and in the aquarium hobby. And I think that's something that we have to think about. Now, sure, you may not like to, uh, to you know, the, the look, and I get it. I, you may not like to pile leaves and botanicals into your woodwork. You may not want to see all that sediment, all that biofilms, all that stuff breaking down in the nooks and crannies. I get it. But my plea to you is to consider the function of these microhabitats, how they form, how fishes can live in them, how they derive protection, food, and utilize them as spawning locations from them. It's a little different when you look at it in those terms and not just the purely aesthetic ones. And, you know, I know that to a lot of you that maybe it's interesting, but I don't want you to automatically dismiss the idea out of hand. You can always remove this stuff, right, if it offends your aesthetic capabilities or, or sensibilities. I only ask that you give the idea a try, a good, serious look at the real elegance and function of these amazing ecological niches. These microhabitats where substrate, leaves, and roots meet create amazing opportunities to create unique, functionally aesthetic aquariums, and I just don't want you to miss that. Think about it. That's all for today's little rant on this stuff. I hope it lights a little fire under your butt and makes you think about it. Stay creative, stay studious, stay observant, stay thoughtful, stay diligent, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.